Good morning. Uh, like Rick said, I'm going to continue my year-spanning series in Galatians. Uh, today we are going to cover Galatians 5, uh, slavery or freedom, works or fruit. Uh, the other week, Craig got up to preach, and he continued the series he's doing, and he reviewed. I was like, oh, good. I couldn't remember what he said last time, but I knew it was really important. So uh, I'm taking that as a freedom to review my review of my previous review. So those of you who have good memories and remember what I said, I pray your indulgence. And those of you who are like me who don't remember what you said last time, um, you know, great. You get a refresher. But there is I want a, a warning. There's a quiz later. Okay, uh, and the quiz is called Life. And unlike your teacher in school, which gives the information first and then the test later, life usually gives you the test, lets you fall smack on your face, and then goes, oh, here's some information you might have liked to know. So, you know, like I said, there's a quiz coming later. Let's review a little history, okay? Context. Context is key. Context determines meaning. For example, this morning we talked about a fire drill. So my son turns to me and says, what's a fire drill? And I first have to explain that this has nothing to do with something that goes into the wall. Drill. Context determines meaning. We are not talking about dianzhuang, you know, no, no, okay? Context determines meaning. So what is the historical backdrop to this book? All of the books in our Bible, they are a concession to the human condition. We are time-bound people. We do not exist like God, spanning time and space, looking down all of it at once, seeing it all together. Okay? We see it in our context, in our cultures, in our different cultures. Okay? So the historical backdrop of the book of Galatians is this question of law. Now, are Christians bound by the Mosaic law? Hint, no. Okay? This was answered quite convincingly in Acts 15 at a Jerusalem council, the first ecumenical council. Now, as Protestants really have like zero memory of ecumenical councils, those of you coming from a Catholic background probably have a better idea about these. But this question was answered very clearly when Peter and Paul went to Jerusalem and they hashed this one out. Excuse me, Peter. Paul wasn't there yet, okay? Now, so if... No, Paul was there. All right, anyway, I'm blanking. But key thing is, this question was answered. So if Paul, if it had already happened, Paul could have just appealed and said, look, we went there, we hashed this out, this has already been answered. And he doesn't, okay? Which means the book of Galatians is probably written before that council which makes this one of the earliest New Testament books, okay? Some people, particularly of a liberal bent, will tell you that, oh, the, Old Test the New Testament is all late writings. Those of you going off to college soon, get ready for this one, okay? But there is good, strong, historical, internal and external evidence that the New Testament writings were all completed before 100 A.D., we have our canon before 100 A.D., okay? These are not late writings where they went and deified Christ after it had already gotten started. No, no. These are early writings accurately describing what the church held. And Galatians may be one of the earliest, okay? 
the Jew, you have this church that is a mixed Jew-Gentile congregation, and it's experiencing internal and external pressure. The external pressure is as the way, which is what Christianity was originally called, diverges from its Jewish roots as they bring in more Gentiles, the external pressure is this. Under Emperor Claudius, one of the early emperors, about AD 41 to 55, he gave Jews an exemption to the emperor tax. Every year to prove you're a loyal Roman citizen, you go and you pay a tax at the temple and you worship the emperor. Okay? Now, Jews are either gloriously or notoriously monotheistic. And for the Romans who were this very, you know, worship whatever you want, but you're going to worship our emperor, this was a problem. And every time they made these Jews go worship their emperor, they get a revolt. And so they, Claudius said, fine, fine, fine. Okay, you Jews do not have to worship the emperor. Everybody else, you be there. So while Christianity, called the way, was sufficiently Jewish, all the Christians got the exemption. They didn't have to worship the emperor. But somewhere in here, they say, no. Judaism is Judaism. Whatever this, you guys worshiping this dead Christus guy, you're not Jewish anymore. You don't get the exemption. So this external pressure is on this congregation that, hey, what if we look a little more Jewish? We get the exemption, and I don't have to worship the emperor. Hey, I like that. Okay? They also have this internal pressure. Because if you're coming out of a Jewish background, there are certain things you don't do. You don't work on Saturday. You don't eat pork. Paul's going around telling everybody, bacon's good. It's okay. It's not going to keep you out of heaven. That's a really good thing. Laro, oh man, that stuff's good if you haven't tried it. Okay, Laro is not going to keep you out of heaven. That's Chinese bacon for all of y'all. It's, it's really good. Um, okay. But you've got this internal pressure of this group, but hey, dude, what are you doing eating bacon? We're Jews, we don't eat bacon. So you have these dynamics at work in the congregation. And what had happened is Paul had come in and preached the gospel. And then some people had come in behind him, we call them Judaizers. They said, yeah, 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 what Paul told you is good, but Jesus and, okay? And we hashed that out in, in, the, in Galatians 1, okay? Next slide. Okay, so, oh, back up one, sorry, I cued you too soon. Okay, so Paul is, he's, he's really irate. Normally he starts off his letters with, I praise God for you and I'm thankful for you, and then he gets into Galatians and he goes, what's wrong with you people? Because they're abandoning the gospel. There is one gospel, okay? Deborah Capron, and last time I asked this question, one other person was of a Jewish descent, and all the rest of us are Gentiles. Now, some of this is really obvious, okay? My wife is Filipino-Chinese with a sprinkling of English and Spanish. Gentile, okay? And basically, the rest of us are Gentile, too. So the question is, okay, Jews, how do they get to heaven? Gentiles, how do they get to heaven? Do they have two different roads? And Paul is stamping his foot going, there is one gospel, okay? And it's the same for Jews and for Greeks, it is faith in Christ. It is not law-keeping. Now, for Jews, this is going to be a little bit of a staggering. It's just, 
what do you mean? What do you mean it's not law-keeping? We've always kept the law. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not law-keeping. Okay, next slide. And then Paul has to go answer this question of righteous how. Okay? In the Greek, the base word for righteous and justified are the same word. And they don't have this. In English, we get this, you hear justified, and you tack on a self in front of it. Right? Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. This, you know, Paul has to answer this. How are you made right before God? Okay. Christ is crucified. Now, this, those of us coming out of a Christian background, this one go, oh, yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. God, big G, God died. That should stagger you. You should go, well, what's going on? Why would God die? And Paul says, this alone should scream to you that the law is not enough. Because if it was enough, what's God doing on a cross dying for you? Okay? And he says, okay, I said Jews, Gentiles, same. You are righteous like Abraham. How was Abraham righteous? He was righteous through a promise before he'd ever gotten circumcision, before Moses' 430 years before Moses' law. He was righteous because he trusted God. Okay? Christ is cursed for us. This magnificent trade. You a sinner, me a sinner, gets Christ's righteousness, and he gets my sin. He was cursed for us. So then it raises this question of why the law, we'll touch on that in a second, and that we are heirs, heirs, somebody who inherits, who receives, we're brought into the family. We'll unpack that in just a little bit. Next slide. Three uses of the law. Some people smash this down to two, not a big deal but three uses of the law. Teacher, Luther in his excellent commentary on Galatians, highly recommend it, thunders that the purpose of the law for the unbeliever is to scare the hell, not a, literally, the hell out of you. You are unrighteous in yourself and you are damned apart from Christ. That is the teaching function of the law. Okay? Civil. Don't run the red light, it's bad for your neighbor. Don't steal his stuff, it's not loving. The civil function of the law is to restrain evil in a fallen world. Does it do it perfectly? No. But it's a whole lot better than lawlessness. The third final and eternal function of the law is moral, where it expresses the character of God and it helps answer some questions like, so what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? Teaching only lasts while we don't have a perfect understanding. In heaven, we are not going to be, need to be taught. Civil is also temporary as well. In heaven, at the, at the consummation, when heaven comes down, I will not be able to not do good. That is a glorious future. As a fallen man, I cannot but sin. I cannot not sin. Now, I can sin or not sin. Spirit in me gives me the choice, the option to not sin. In heaven, I cannot but do righteousness. Okay? And so all that will be left is the moral function of law that declares the glorious nature of God's character. Next slide. So there's this question, okay, 
You were slaves to the law. You were freed. And now you would be slaves again? Why would you choose that? We are blessed. Are we blessed? Yes, we are blessed. We are broken. We are blessed by a broken messenger, Paul to the Galatians, me to you. I'm very broken. Okay? And we are blessed by our freedom in Christ. And so now we come to Galatians 5, and I would ask that you would stand for the reading of God's Word. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await, wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to en envying one another. You may be seated. Next slide. Okay. Freedom or slavery. Christ has set us free. We are free from the law. Okay. If you remember back to chapter 4, you review it. We were under a guardian. Okay. It was a technical role in the house. 
a slave who was over all the underage children. But a day would come when a father would tell his son, you are no longer a child, you are an adult. Yesterday, this slave told him what to do. Today, this slave is the heir's property. As sinners, we are under the law. The law is meant to scare us because it holds damnation for us. But then we become heirs, and it has no, it has no threat to us. Okay? We are sons. We are adopted okay, into a new family. And remember, in Roman law, you could be adopted out once and, you could, and be adopted into a new family. And when that happened, it was permanent. You could never be disowned. Your old debts wiped away. You got the name and the assets of your new family. And it was permanent. Okay? Our freedom includes this hope of righteousness. A hope, and already not yet. We stand now. When you accept Christ, you are declared righteous. In this life, you are being sanctified. This gradual process of making progress. And at the end, Christ will finish the work he started. Okay? Paul asks, you were running well. Why did you stop? This is where these Judaizers came in and they changed the message. Okay? This bad teaching spread like yeast through dough. Okay? I don't make a whole lot of bread. If you want to do it the traditional way, it's kind of time-consuming. Um, I've got this nice little box. I plug it in. I put the ingredients in. I hit go. It's great. Okay? But I got this little bag of this brown stuff. It's called yeast. And I put it in. And these little paddles go work, 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 work. And it makes a funny smell. And three hours later, I hold this block of wheat that has all these holes in it because of the work of yeast. They got in there. Yeast is occasionally described as a good thing, the gospel spreading. And here it's a bad thing. It's this error spreading. Okay? And it was unsettling these people. It was undermining the gospel. Okay? And so Paul asks this question, if I'm preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Okay, remember, he would have moved over to the, oh, we're still sufficiently Jewish, no internal pressure, no external pressure. Okay? And he says, if you choose circumcision as a symbol for law-keeping, okay, you've removed the offense of the cross. What is the offense of the cross? What is so offensive about the gospel? It is this. Your sole contribution to your salvation is that you're a sinner. You messed up royally, and that's putting it mildly. You are personally responsible for nailing the Son of God to a tree. The fact that you weren't there is immaterial. So when you stand before God and He says, why should I let you in? You get to plead nothing. Your qualification to be covered by the blood of Jesus is you're a sinner. One of the interesting things about Beijing is that 
attract successful people. Companies tend to put their big headquarters here and then they bring in successful uh, business leaders and political leaders to come run them. You didn't get here because you brought nothing. And so when you walk into this room and you hear your contribution to your salvation is zip, it's quite understandable that that should offend something in you. And Paul is saying, if you choose circumcision, okay, if you choose Jesus plus, okay, I, I don't think this room is full of a lot of people going, hmm, should I get circumcised? Will that make me more righteous? Going out on a limb, it's probably not a problem, okay? But I bet, if only because I occasionally look in the mirror, you are desperate to add something to your salvation. And the gospel says, no, you don't get to. And we have the freedom to love through serving. The freedom that we are given is not lawlessness. It's not a lack of restraint. It is to be unhindered in your love and service to others. You can serve because it doesn't matter if anybody notices. You don't have to perform because all the performing that's been required of you has been done for you, and the good works you are called to do will be done through somebody else's power through you. Love your neighbor as yourself, the second greatest commandment, and it's placed immediately before and in contrast to biting and devour one another. Let me ask you this. Can you think of a single animal that lives by eating itself? Okay, now there are animals that eat others of its own kind, but what animal eats itself? The body of Christ is described like a person. How can we eat ourselves and live? Next slide. Works or fruit? Spirit versus the flesh. The desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh are in conflict. They're at war with each other. And if you are under the spirit, you are not under the law. To be a believer is to be under the Spirit. Okay? If you have put your faith in Christ, you are no longer under the law. Sinner is not your identity. Okay? Now, I'll, I'll just, true confessions of a pastor preaching on a hard passage. This is hard for me. I'm really comfortable with calling myself a sinner because, man, there's plenty to describe it. I am making baby steps, tiny steps, Rick's helping, um, in recognizing that is not my identity. And for those of you here who are in Christ, it's not your identity either. Then he goes on in verses 19 through 21, and Paul gives a thorough rundown of works of the flesh. Okay, I'll skip the technical differences between this word for sexual immorality and that word for sexual immorality. He's just trying to cover all of his bases, okay? Uh, these are sins against the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
idolatry and witchcraft, okay? There are no neutral spiritual forces, okay? Christ says, if you're not for me, you're against me, okay? So if you are practicing idolatry or witchcraft, you are calling on nothing or you're calling on demon instead of God. He's not neutral on the subject of witchcraft and idolatry. Now, those of us like me who come out of a Western, scientific, my dad's got a PhD in physics, okay, taking the dangers of idolatry and witchcraft for me is hard. Some of you come out of traditions and backgrounds where you've seen, where your testimony is, that stuff's dangerous and you don't play with it, okay? And... Yeah, I would, I would love to hear that just to help me in my own walk of taking the spiritual realm more seriously. Okay. Then he goes on to address the issue of conflict. Each person that you see every day, including that person that cuts you off and makes you swerve at the intersection, is made in the image of God. That person that could just sign that document and this process could go forward that is just wasting your week, they're made in the image of God. And how we deal with conflict shows whether we take this doctrine seriously. Lewis, C.S. Lewis has this fabulous quote where he talks about, you have never met a normal person. Each person that you ever see will one day in heaven be so glorious you would be tempted on earth to worship them or so hideous that even in your worst nightmare, you can't imagine something this scary. You have not met just a normal person. And how we deal with conflict with one another reflects to us whether we take this imago Dei, this image of God doctrine seriously. And then he goes on to talk about drunkenness and orgies, this, this lack of restraint and self-control, this using my freedom for something other than the service and the glory of God and others, the benefit of others. Now, if you've looked at the list, and maybe, you know, I've got the, the technical Greek definitions of this, you know, oh, sexual immorality, that's actually the word where we get the word porn from, uh, to engage in sexual immorality of any kind, often with the implication of prostitution. Now, you go, ah, nope, haven't checked that box. Okay, I would encourage you to flip to the book of Matthew, particularly chapter 5, 27, for Sermon on the Mount, where Christ unpacks what that means. If you have looked at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery with her. And then, you know, play that out with these other, other sins. You're on this list somewhere. I'm on this list. Okay. And he says, you will not, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh produces these works, and apart from these works, and apart from the work of the Lord, this will cost you your immortal soul. If you are an unbeliever here today, I beg you, look to Christ and repent. Quite literally, your immortal soul is at stake. But having just said, okay, I'm trusting Christ, 
and I'm on this list, somebody should go, wait, wait, that's a problem. Good, you're paying attention. Yes, that's a problem. So what is our identity? This same Paul who says, those who do such things, it will cost you your immortal soul, is also the one previously in this book who says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. This is not your identity. Okay? And he unpacks that in his other books as well. Okay? Let's go on to the next one. Okay? From about 1992 to 1995, there was a war in the former Yugoslavia in Eastern Europe. And it was a particularly bloody genocidal war because unlike Americans, we have like zero sense of history. That part of the world, they have a long sense of history and they, they remember the atrocities that those people committed against me, my people. And so they traded new atrocities. And an Italian peacekeeper was there, and if I'm remembering the quote right, he said, I can't point my gun at somebody and say, quit hating your neighbor. And the law is like that. It's like pointing a gun at somebody and saying, quit hating your neighbor. You might be able to stop them from killing their neighbor, but the law has no power to make you love your neighbor. Okay? But we have given us a spirit that enables us to live out the trans transformation that has been worked within us. All right, Edward, are you still in the sound of my voice? Come on up, buddy. Let me get a cheer for you to stand on. Good catch. All right, you remember your part? Good, all right. Okay, now, we try to memorize scripture in my family. Oh, okay. Do we have to turn it on? Oh, we got to turn it on. There we go. Can you do a sound check? Remember right there? By the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Thank you very much. Do not try to gut those things out. They are the fruit of the Spirit. Like the previous litany of sins are the works of the flesh. Flesh, when you plant flesh seeds, this is what they produce. When you plant spirit seeds, this is what they produce. You do not plant peach pits to grow tomatoes. Okay. Those who have belonged to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Have crucified. My one Greek word for the day, aorist, it's a tense. Okay. It means past tense. Well, it's, Greek tenses are different. Okay. It emphasizes an event that has happened. It's done. Okay. It doesn't comment on the duration of the event. Okay, I hit the ball, I attended college. Both are done. Okay, doesn't tell us the ongoing nature or not. It just means it's done. 
The flesh has been crucified. Past tense. You who belong to Christ, the flesh and its desires have been crucified. Now, some of you, like me, are going, oh, wait, 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 Ed. Um, if we do a playback on this past week, that flesh is looking live and kicking. Help me with that. Okay, I will try because I'm there with you. Okay, and I'll pull up my friend Jean Calvin. Uh, a nice Frenchman, lived in Switzerland for a while, wrote a couple books worth reading, otherwise known as John Calvin to you native English speakers. The word crucified is employed to point out that the mortification of the flesh, mortification, nice technical word for kill, is the effect of the cross of Christ. This work does not belong to man. By the grace of Christ, quote, we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, Romans 6, 5, and we no longer, that we no longer might live unto ourselves. Okay. Okay. Looks like I've got two copies of that page. Interesting. Now I'm confused. Let us, ah, uh, yes. Okay. In Galatians 25, 5, verses 25 and 6, it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So you have keep in step, provoke, going back to that keeping in step with the Spirit and the provoking. How do we treat others who are image bearers with us? The let us phrase here, uh, it's, I'm using the ESV translation. The underlying Greek tense is, uh, it's an imperative, it's an exhortation. It's do. Okay. Now, Paul, he front loads all of his books. They're front loaded with doctrine, and then he tacks the do on the end. Okay? Now, if I leave you here, when you walk out after your file drill and go, okay, Ed said, do. I have failed you as a preacher. If you walk out of here thinking the command is, make some fruit, make some fruit. Hernia possibility fruit, not likely. Okay? And as I was wrestling with this, okay, how do I make sense of Paul? He's, he's always talking about all this doctrine about how it's been done for you. Now go do it. Okay? So the Lord is gracious. Last night we're reading 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul says, I did more than all the apostles, but not me, the Spirit working through me. Oh, okay. You will work hard to do the works that God has called you to do you will not be the one working hard to do all that God has called you to do. Is that a mystery? Oh, yes. If you want a nice, simple explanation, see Rick, don't see me. I'm, I'm still struggling to work this one out. Okay. Okay. So, application. How? 
how do we share in a fallen condition that this addresses? Okay. Having heard the gospel, we want to add to it. We would really like to add something, some sticker on that chart down in the basement in the kids' room. Okay. We forget how good the gospel really is. The freedom of the gospel, the freedom from performing to be righteous, that scares me. I'd really rather just know what I'm supposed to do. I fear that the gospel freedom that I read about can't help but just lead to lawlessness. If I tell you you're free in Christ, am, am I just going to rip you loose from any moorings and you're just going to do whatever? Far be it for me to stand before God and say, yeah, I was, I was careless up here. I taught people false doctrine. That scares me. So how do I personally share in this fallen condition? It's a struggle for me to believe that grace really produces holiness and that Christ is my righteousness, full stop. I would really like to boast in my accomplishments, but Christ is the end of the law for the believer. How can I be a saint and do that? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Having begun a good work in us, He will bring it to completion. We have the Holy Spirit as a deposit. Okay? In the classic, in the classic Near East, deposits were in kind. If I were buying a field from Craig and I paid two yoke of oxen now, I would pay him more yoke of oxen later. If I paid bushels of grain now, I pay bushels of grain later. God has put a down payment of God to complete the work he started. Now, we have enough businessmen and women in this room. What happens if you fail to complete a contract and you've put down a down payment? You lose it. Anybody want to bet on God losing the Holy Spirit by not finishing what He started in you? I'm not going to take that bet. I, okay? I'm more comfortable with my ID as a, hi, my name's Ed, I'm a sinner. That feels easy. Hi, my name's Ed, I'm a saint. That one's a little harder. I've been a believer for about 30 years now. Why am I not further along in this? Can I get an amen? So, so what longing of our heart does this answer? The gospel of righteousness by grace alone, through faith alone, really is the end of our striving. Put a fork in it, it's done. It's the end of our striving. The fruit of the Spirit really is that. It's the produce, the product of the Spirit, not me. My job is to walk with Him, to spend time with Him. And this is still very much a place where it needs to grow. So let me pray for us. From Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than, we all, than, than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Before we go to our fire drill and Rick's closing prayer, um, two suggested readings. Luther's commentary on Galatians. It's old enough, so it's public domain, or you can get an updated translation. should be available on Amazon. And I also recommend John Owen's Mortification of Sin. If you're going, okay, Ed, how do I walk by the Spirit and kill this flesh that seems like it's winning against me? I thoroughly commend John Owen's Mortification of Sin, but start with an updated translation. Uh, first time I read it, I would read a page three times and have no idea what Owen was saying. Owen's hard, but he's worth the effort. Thank you.